0: Now, it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today's Gospel, we hear the story of the multiplication of the loaves. Now, this story has fascinated scripture scholars and people throughout the centuries for at least two reasons. First and foremost, It is this miracle that you can find in all four of the Gospels. Now that's not necessarily true for all the miracles that Jesus has performed. For example, there are some miracles that you find in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke that you don't find in the Gospel of Mark or John and vice versa. So that's the first thing that we can take from this. This is an extremely important miracle such that it has fascinated and astounded the Apostles such that the four gospel writers were compelled to make sure that they included it in their gospel. They couldn't leave it out. It was so overwhelming of a miracle, especially for them. And the second thing that we can take from this is if you look at the readings of the, especially the early ancient fathers, St. Cyprian, St. Augustine, they would say that in this story of the multiplication of the loaves, essentially best mirrors what we celebrate Every time we gather for Mass, the early church fathers would say that every time we gather for Mass, essentially we reenact or we live out this miracle of the multiplication of the loaves again and again. In fact, this story best parallels every Mass that we celebrate and enter into. I'll give you some examples of that. Notice how it begins. Jesus, it says, he climbs a mountain and then he sits down. Well, mountains are synonymous where the presence of God is. It's a spiritually charged place in the scriptures. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, a mountain is where you find God. I'll give you some examples. Abraham and Isaac, they climb Mount Moriah in order to perform the sacrifice of Isaac. And it's there they encounter the Lord. Moses, he climbs Mount Sinai. And there he encounters the Lord in the form of a burning bush. Jesus, he climbs Mount Tabor and is miraculously transfigured in front of his own apostles. And so mountains are always places where we encounter God. Now, the scholars would say, every time we gather for Mass, we are on that mountain ourselves. Every time we come to Mass, we are climbing that spiritual mountain. We know that every time we gather for Mass, we are going to encounter the Lord in Scripture and in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it continues. It says the Jewish feast of Passover was near. And so we're reminded of that sacred meal for the Jews. The Passover meal was a very sacred meal. Remember, they celebrated it. The night before, they were freed from slavery in Egypt. God specifically told them that they had to celebrate that meal and subsequently thereafter to continue to celebrate that meal and what God had did for them. To this day, Jews continue to celebrate the Passover, and it is a ritualistic meal in which they recognize God liberating the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Well, every time we gather for Mass, you could say that is our Catholic Passover, the Eucharist, the Mass. Every time we gather for Mass, it is the Eucharist that is a sacred meal for ourselves. And in doing so, we remember how God liberated us from slavery. In our case, the slavery of sin and death through Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. Now it says next, Jesus raised his eyes and saw the large crowd coming to him. He said to Philip, Where can we buy enough food for them to eat? He said this to test him because he himself knew what he was about to do. So it begs the question, why does Jesus test Philip? Well, I think it's because he wants to teach the apostles the complete reliance upon the providence of God. See, if the apostles had enough food, or even enough money to buy food for the people, they would be relying upon themselves to provide food for these people. Instead, Jesus wants the apostles to rely upon God, You know, he taught them this lesson just a few weeks ago. Remember the story, Jesus, he sends out the 12 apostles two by two to evangelize. Remember how he sent them out with barely a shirt on their back. No food, no money, nothing. They had to rely upon the providence of God. They did and they were successful. Now take it a step even further. Jesus, he takes the initiative. He sees these people are in need of food. The apostles don't. Therefore he takes the initiative to go and feed them. What does this really mean? Jesus desires to be the source of nourishment for these people. In this case, a physical nourishment. But every time we gather for mass, Christ himself, he desires to be the source of nourishment for us, for our spiritual nourishment, and he becomes just that. Through the scriptures and through his body and blood, Christ becomes the source of nourishment. You know, it is a nourishment that is unlike anything in this world. That's why the angels refer to the body of Christ as the panis Angelicus, the bread of the angels. And so that's what Christ gives us and does for us every time we gather for mass. Take it even a step further. I often quote you Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. Well, the Eucharist helps us to grow into that image and likeness of God. If you ever want to read a great spiritual book, read the dialogue written by St. Catherine of Siena. It is essentially a dialogue between her and God. Now, in the dialogue, God brings up the importance of the Eucharist. And he specifically addresses this, that he's given us the Eucharist so that we can grow into that image and likeness of God. Because when we come up for communion, we are literally taking in God. So eventually, over time, we do grow into that image and likeness. More to it, God tells St. Catherine that over time, God peers into our soul, and he sees the image of himself mirrored back at him. See, that's what Jesus has given us, and that's the transformative effect the Eucharist has on us all. Now next, Jesus tells the apostles to have the people sit down. Now, notice that odd detail. It's that there was a lot of grass around. I don't know about you, but I've never been in a desert with a lot of grass. In fact, I've been in the desert in which the apostles are in right now. And that desert, there is no grass. In fact, there is very little vegetation. It's nothing but rocks and sand. Now, Why is John telling us this odd detail? Well, it's very intentional. Why? Well, he's trying to tie that to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. In green pastures, he gives me repose. Well, John is trying to teach us again. Jesus truly is the good shepherd. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He does that for these people. And now he's going to feed them. Well, again, every time we come for Mass, we come into the church and we feel a sense of peace, don't we? We leave all of our cares and our challenges and those stressors behind, and we know that when we come into church, it's peaceful and it's quiet, and it's a place in which now we find rest, don't we? More to it, we know that when we come to church, when we come to Mass, it is there that we will also be fed, fed by our Good Shepherd. Jesus Christ. Now, they give Jesus a few meager belongings, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Well, we do the same thing at Offertory, don't we? We come up for Offertory with just a few hosts, a little bit of water, a little bit of wine. And what happens? Jesus takes them and he does the same thing that he does in the story. It says he blessed, he broke them, and then he shared them. Well, that you could say is our Eucharistic prayer, the prayer of consecration. We take the little gifts that we give God and God takes them and he blesses them and he transforms them into his body and his blood. And he gives us an overwhelming gift. Now notice too, the people, they take the food and they have their fill, it says. Not only their fill, but there's 12 wicker baskets full of leftovers. So it's a super abundant amount of food that they have to eat. That's the next thing that we can take from this. This miracle is over the top. It's super abundance. It's more than the people really need it. And yet it's given to them. See, Jesus does that in many of his miracles. It's always over the top. Go to the wedding feast of Cana. Jesus transforms water into wine, but he just doesn't do a little bit or enough to get by. No. Instead, he transforms gallons, hundreds of gallons of water into wine in a super abundant way. What about Jesus' his death on the cross? Gives himself completely away, holds nothing back. Well, the same thing holds true here. Jesus, he doesn't give the people just a little bit of food and then say, oh, go now fend for yourself. No, he completely fills them up and then has leftovers. We do the same thing. When we come for Mass, especially the Eucharist, and we receive Jesus' body and blood, we have to realize that we are receiving the grace from that sacrament. And it is a grace that is over the top, super abundant, more than we could possibly use. But nonetheless, it is given to us. It's a great reminder of God's love and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. It's always over the top, always super abundant, more than we could possibly use. But nonetheless, it's always given to us. One last thing to think about. Notice at the very end, Jesus tells the apostles to pick up all the fragments so that nothing is wasted. Don't we do the same thing after communion? We gather all the hosts, we put them in ciboriums, and then we put them in the tabernacle so that nothing is wasted. Well, we do the exact same thing at Mass. See, that's why the story of the multiplication of the loaves best mirrors what we do at Mass. Strongly encourage you, take some time this week. Can't afford not to reread this story. This is a story of our Mass. The story of the multiplications of the loaves is something that we, you could say, live out or reenact every time we come to Mass. And that's the beauty of the story. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.